On this week's edition of the Magic Memories Podcast, Dennis Scott goes one-on-one with Stan Van Gundy for a sprawling conversation that covers his tenure in Orlando as head coach, how he landed in the city beautiful in the first place, that magical 2009 finals run, his relationship with Magic head coach Steve Clifford, and much, much more. So get ready. The Magic Memories Podcast starts right now. Stan Van Gundy. When you got the phone call that you could possibly be the head coach of the Orlando Magic, what went through your mind first? Well, I was excited about it. Um, you know, I knew what the roster was. Um, you know, and I also knew, quite honestly, that following somebody like Brian Hill, that this would have been a team that has already had a discipline about them. Mm-hmm. This is something I've talked about a lot had a discipline about them, knew how to work, knew how to practice, you know, had been held accountable. And so you you knew you would just have to come in and install your system and go. It wasn't like you had to do a complete culture change or any of that. So you combine those two things and and I I felt like you'd have a chance at success. How were you able to come in though? And as I like to say, put the Stan Van Gundy style to it. How were you able to do that right away? Well, I think because we had really high character people. And, and when you have high character people and you have these great teams, I don't care what team you're talking about, you're going to find a lot of people who really want to be pushed, want to be coached. You know that mm-hmm. from the teams you've been on. And so those guys are always easier to coach. And, and, and this team had had a measure of success. You know, they'd gone to the playoffs a year before under Brian. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, Jameer Nelson, real high character guy. Um, Dwight just coming into his prime mm-hmm. as a great talent. Um, Hito Turkoglu, another great talent. And then the great offseason acquisition the same year I came with Rashard Lewis. And, and then, you know, even a rookie, Courtney Lee, really high character, wanted to be pushed. J.J. Redick, one of the best competitors I've been around in our league. Tony Batib. I mean, these guys wanted to be coached. They wanted to win. Um, and then I was able to put together a, a great, great coaching staff. Steve Clifford, who's here now, mm-hmm. tremendous teacher, did a lot of work with, with Hito and Richard besides helping us with X's and O's. Bob Byer, who did a lot of work with, with JJ and with Courtney Lee, mm-hmm. you know, did tremendous work. Obviously, Patrick with, with Dwight and our other big guys. And then, you know, Brendan Malone, who along with our strength coach, Joe Rogowski, did one of the greatest player development jobs I've ever seen in the league with Marcin Gortat, mm-hmm. who became a big part of it in the year we went to the finals. So great high character players, some great moves by Otis, you know, which we can get into as yes. we go. Yes. And then a great coaching staff working with those guys. It just sort of, of all came together. Uh, everything worked in conjunction. Do you remember, Stan, when you and Otis sat down, you said, Dwight's going to be the guy. He's coming to his own. And we're going to put shooters around him. We're going to play inside out. How did you come to that conclusion? Well, look, I, I think Otis knew that even before I came in. And he was set on pursuing Richard, which became probably the move that put that roster over the top. But, but quite honestly, I mean, I came in and we were going to, you know, start Tony Batie at the power forward. Mm-hmm. And then we weren't sure if we were going to take Richard and Hito and bring one of them off the bench or try to play them together at the two and three spot. Right. You know, then Tony, in our first year, the year before we went to the finals, Tony went down in the preseason with a shoulder sure. injury and That's was right. out for the year. Mm-hmm. And so there really, it just became a no-brainer to put your best players on the floor. So I'd love to sit here and say there was some great plan and I was like <laughs> this genius that figured it out. We just went by necessity right. of what gave us the best chance. And, and actually, we started in camp. We said, all right, we're going we're gonna to play Hito at the... Uh, at kind, the of point, kind of point four, kind of, yeah. right? And, and then it just, he wasn't comfortable particularly guarding fours. Right. And even though Richard hadn't done much of it, Richard was very willing, a no excuse guy. I mean, mm-hmm. the thing with Richard is we, you know, we got only not, not only a great talent, an all-star talent, but a guy who was totally team oriented. It's all he cared about. No excuse. This guy was an all-star small forward. We're moving to the power forward. Right. In a time where not everybody was playing small. That's so right. he was battling true power forwards on a regular basis. 
Never said one word, no complaints, no nothing. Went out and got the job done every night and allowed us to play in a way that really fit around Dwight. I mean, we right. had Dwight inside. We had two great pick and roll players in Jameer and uh, Hito, mm -hmm. and we could spread out with shooters. But that wasn't the original master <laughs> plan. We got lucky on that. And speaking of that luck, Richard buys into that. Now as a team, you're shooting more threes. I think January 13th, you have 23 threes against the Kings. Is that when you said, you know what? I'm going to let this team shoot more threes than the rest of the world knows. Yeah, it's amazing, though, now when you look, right? Because we were shooting more threes than anybody. And now, the way the game's evolved. <laughs> it makes my hands sweat, that. too. Yes. yes, I'm sure. And now the way the game's evolved, that total we had that year would be in the bottom seven or eight in the league right. in threes attempted. The game has changed that much. But at that time, yeah, it was a lot of threes. And... I do think, you know, we gave them a lot of freedom to play. I think mm -hmm. guys liked playing that way. I mean, right. the one thing, I mean, I'm hard on guys in a lot of ways, tough to play for in a lot of ways, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. they know or knew if you have an open shot, shoot it. Right. And about the only thing I'd get on you about with shots is if you passed one up mm -hmm. when you were open. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we wanted guys to shoot it without hesitation. They adapted to it. And uh, because of Dwight's ability inside, right. It really opened things up and, and allowed those guys to thrive, and it was uh, it was a great way for us to play and a fun way for us to play. So the 08-09 season, you're off to a great start. You have all-stars. Everybody's feeling good about themselves. Then Jameer goes down. What goes through your mind then when your all-star yeah, point guard goes we down? Were, we were crushed, quite honestly. We yeah. really were because it was the best year of his career. I, I think sometimes people forget how well he was playing there. And at the time he went down, I didn't think there was any question in my mind that we were the best team in the East. New Cleveland was good. Certainly LeBron would be tough to overcome, but we were playing great, great basketball and he was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And we had a good solid backup in Anthony Johnson, mm -hmm. but you know, to go on and make the push, it was gonna be, it was gonna be hard and so, yeah, the feeling wasn't great around the team. People were really disappointed. And then Otis pulled off, you know, a Do you remember where you were? Move. Do you remember where you were when you we got that in, phone call? Well, we were in we were talking about it for a while, but we were in Charlotte. Okay. And the first game that Skip played was down there on no practice or anything. Right. Um I had I had, had Skip in Miami mm -hmm. and Otis and I agreed and, and you know he had to give up, pay a heavy price. We gave up a first round pick, right. but it was one of the great moves. I mean, if you just look, so many things came together. I mean, he, he made the great signing with Richard that really allowed us to transform our team and play differently. And then Jameer going down, had we not, I firmly believe, had we not made the move for, for Skip, that we, we probably would have been out in the first round. I mean, that's as good as we were at the other spots. We needed somebody there. And not only was, was Rafer a, a really good player, um, but he's one of the smartest guys in the league. And so he was able to come in and pick things up quickly. Guys loved playing with him. And so we were really, once he got up to speed, we were really able to go on and, and not miss a beat. How important is that to explain to Magic fans that having a previous relationship with a player helps you bring them into your system and pick it up right away? Well, I think it helped. Not so much even in the system in that I think Rafer understood me, knew what I wanted, mm -hmm. but more than, more than even the previous relationship, the guy's just really, really smart guy mm -hmm. and really knows the game. I mean, he's a guy that in the middle of games would know the other team's calls. Right, right, I right. remember it from playing against him. <laughs> so he knew what was going on and he was just fun. You know, he had a little flash to him and, you know, which sometimes could drive you crazy. Yeah, a little, 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 too, little too much New York yeah, for you. Too much times, but it was fun and exciting right. and got other people going and guys loved playing with him. I remember the very first game, we bring him into Charlotte he, you know, I talked to him for a few minutes. He met with the assistant coaches to go over some stuff. And we played him, I think, 40 minutes that first night. You know, we just threw him in there. And guys were coming off the court, other guys saying, yeah, man, we can play with him. <laughs> I mean, you know, and, and so you went from the entire team being down right. with Jameer going out 
no one like this guy not only was a great player but a great leader yep. maybe the best teammate i've been around in my time in the league people were really down about him being out and now you're able to get skip and he's in there playing and people's spirits just picked up and now we're we're ready to go again it, it was uh it was a great move player personnel move and things gelled again very quickly you sit there at the end of the season you see Jameer rehab and trying to get healthy the team's rolling and the playoffs are about to start. What's going through your mind when the playoffs are coming? Well, we knew it would take a while. We knew we wanted to have him early on in the playoffs. So I wasn't really giving it a lot of thought. My, my stance the whole time was, and I think the coaching staff was pretty much in agreement. Mm -hmm. Like, when he's ready, we're going to play him. Yeah, we're going to play him. And, like, and, and I think, you know, I mean, that's been a controversial move to mm -hmm. some people. Mm -hmm. And I get it. Um, but... Again, I think people forget how well he was playing at mm -hmm. that point in his career. And we didn't bring him back in to start, but we were gonna, we were gonna play him. Um, but going into the playoffs, that was just sort of a vague thought because we knew we didn't have him right. those first three rounds, you know? So we were just concentrating on, on Philly and then Boston and then Cleveland. And, and not really worrying as much about Jameer at that point, at the start of the playoffs. So, round one against Philly, take me through that series, the ebbs and flows, where you kind of, you win a game, you're feeling good, you lose a game, like, where's Jameer? It's like, you kind of ebbs and flows a little bit that, that round Yeah, yeah, one they, they beat us at the buzzer, and, mm -hmm. and you know, we were down, we were down 2-1, and if Hito doesn't make a big shot, yeah, I'm a little right. bit lucky banking. That that's right, game. that's if right. If he doesn't make that, you know, we, we could be down 3-1 in that series and out in the first round, and we're not sitting here talking today, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's right. That, that's how sports are and what people don't realize. Like, like, really, the next year's team in 2010 was a more dominant team in right. my mind, but we just played a bad series against Boston. Right. So a lot of times, you know, it, it, it's little things. And Hito hits that shot, it's 2-2. Then we come home and we beat Philly in game five to go up 3-2. But Dwight throws an elbow. Right. And he's out of game six. That's right. So I remember going up to Philly saying, oh, my God, you know, like. How are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? And Marcin Gortat starts and, and J.J., you know, those two guys were just on fire early. And then Richard just took over the took over the entire game and probably played our best game of the postseason, considering we're without Dwight and blew them out of the building in Philly. It's one of the best performances I've ever watched my team play as a coach. And those guys were just I don't know if it was they didn't feel as much pressure. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they wanted to prove they could do it without Dwight, right. but I mean, it was right from the beginning. There was just no way Philly was going to beat us that night. And so, you know, it was a tough series and we were fortunate to get through it, um, particularly with Dwight being out. Um, and, and, you know, that's also in a series, earlier in the series, we lost Courtney. Right. You know, he ends up breaking his orbital bone mm -hmm. or whatever. Right. And so we're, we, we lose our starter at that spot. So we're actually going game six without he and Dwight, and we're able to win it, but we've still now got to move on without Courtney going forward. And, you know, I mean, it, it wasn't without Courtney, and of course you've been out without Jameer the whole year. So it wasn't like one of those years where nothing bad happened in terms of injury right. either, right. you know, and we had to overcome quite a bit to get to where we were. And as you're overcoming those obstacles, you're getting ready for Boston in round two. How do you find the words to motivate your team to make sure they can get to the next round? You know, I don't think it was anything I did to motivate them. I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, we played our, we played our game, and they had a great deal of belief. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think, you know, by then we believed in our, believed in our talent. The tough part was we didn't have home court right. with them, you know, and or with Cleveland for that matter. And, and, and so to get that win early in, in game one and, and, and under, understand that, you know, you're, you're really in the series mm -hmm. was tremendous. And so you get the split up there, you come home, and, and then 
you know, we had made the decision going into the series that at the end of the game, we're not going to let Paul Pierce. He's not scoring. He's not taking. Someone else right. is going to shoot it. Yeah, we, we had just decided that guy was too good at the end of games. That's and right. so, you know, we get the one game at home and it's close at the end. And we trap Paul Pierce. We blitz him coming off the pick and roll. Mm -hmm. And we executed exactly the way we wanted to execute. And the ball moves. And Big Baby gets a jump shot and beats us with it. You know, and it's one of those things I said after the game, you know, it can't be the right move if it didn't work. Right. But if we had to do it again, we'd do the exact same thing. You know, and, and so, you know, we come out of there 2-2 two -two and then lose in Boston and we're down 3-2. So, you know, it was tough. But we play a really good game six. And then you're going game seven in Boston. And the history of Boston in game seven at home is like they never, they never lose, you know, and that's what you're heading into. Now, we were a little bit lucky that year because mm -hmm. we were missing Jameer, but they were missing mm -hmm. KJ. There you go. Right. So that changed things a little, a little, mm -hmm. a little, and it really allowed us to guard Ray Allen a little bit differently. Like, mm -hmm. we just didn't leave him. Right. And JJ executed game plan to the hilt. Like JJ, a lot of people don't think is a very good defender, but I've, I've always defended him on that. Right. He, he's locked in. He'll mm -hmm. do exactly what you want. Right. He's never going to make mistakes. He's smart and tough. Right. And he played Paul Pierce exactly the way we wanted to. We were able to, I mean, Ray Allen, and we were able to limit Ray a little bit in that series. Right. The fact they didn't have KG, you know, now we just had to really Trying to keep Rondo out of the paint and really can lock in the best you can on Paul Pierce. We couldn't stop him, but. What was your message for game seven? I mean, game seven, the only thing I remember talking about is we had a chance to make history. Paul Pierce had come out of game six. We had won at home, and he was actually yelling on the court coming off of game six. Game seven's not for everybody. Ah, That's what he kept saying. Game ah, seven's not for everybody. Okay. And. What I remember about game seven is, you know, Hito was always a good player for us and had had a great year and a good playoff run up until then. But the best game I've ever seen him play was game seven in Boston. Mm. And he dominated the game. You know, mm. and he had to guard Paul Pierce mm -hmm. at one end and then he absolutely dominated the game at the other end. And it really wasn't all that close going down the stretch. I mean, we had a lot of people play well, but Hito was unbelievable, played out of his mind. And that was just a, a terrific win. And so now we had closed round one with an unbelievable performance mm -hmm. in Philly right. without Dwight. And now we close round two, you know, by beating Boston in game seven in Boston. Mm -hmm. So now our confidence is just sky high. I mean, when you've played two games like that to clinch series, and it sort of propelled us into the uh, conference finals. You get to the conference finals, you're playing against that guy, I forget his name, I think, <laughs> I forget his name, but there's everyone saying LeBron Kobe finals, LeBron Kobe finals. That's what everyone's writing, but that's not what you were preaching. Well, and that's what everybody wanted, right? I mean, <laughs> outside of Orlando, right? that's what everybody wanted. Right. Um, no, we, again, we thought we were really good. And, and at that time, if you, if you remember, you know, they've always had the LeBron banner in Cleveland, the big one. The big one. But the one at that time, I, I think, said, we are all witnesses. Witness. And so I remember going in the locker room and talking before game that we're not there to witness now. Right. You know, we're there to play. And the interesting thing in that series, two interesting things, number one, other than LeBron's great shot, if it wasn't for that great shot in game two, mm -hmm. which I'll take the responsibility for, we, we would have swept that series. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is, games one and two, we're down 20 or close to 20 early in both games. I mean, right. they came out and just ran us over early mm -hmm. in the game. And that's where I think our confidence of having won the two previous series on the road and been in tough situations served us well because there was no panic for our guys. We got behind early. We just played. We were able to come back and win a big one in game one with some, some really tough shots late right. in the game. Rashard made a huge one, and we win a close one. 
and we sure won game two. You know, and they run an out of bounds play. You know, <laughs> down two. So, you know, me like I, the thing is, I had a pretty good idea of what was coming, and we right. talked about it. Right. And he don't played it the way we wanted to play it. Man, I, I've run that over in my mind a hundred times. That's a tough one, right? Even though we won the series. <laughs> like, you, you've got to run a second defender at him at that point, and we didn't. Right. And so they like to run this play where, you know, Mike Brown liked to run this play where LeBron would fake coming up off the pin down and back to the and rim, and they would lobby him the ball. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, that's what they ran, and we had it. And Hito played it perfectly. So LeBron couldn't go back door. So it forced him to come up, to the top. and we forced him to make a three to beat us. <laughs> and he's not supposed to be able to shoot that shot. No, I mean, you know, and so after the game, you know, my only thought in the locker room, I'm saying to the assistant coaches, like, right there, that could be the series that I didn't double team the guy. That could be the series, you know. And so I was really, our players weren't down about it. Right. I mean, in their minds, they'd gotten a win in game one, mm -hmm. and... It took a miracle shot to beat him in game two. Right. And I think their confidence with the first two rounds and those two games was sky high, but I'm ready to like <laughs> smack myself upside the head. Um, but our guys came home and, and played two really good home games right. and we're up 3-1. And that's what I'm saying, had he not made that shot, yeah. we're out of that series and into the finals on a, on a sweep which would have probably been too much to expect, but we were there to do it. We really controlled games, though, at home pretty well, um, you know, and did a good job. And then game five, LeBron just took over in the fourth quarter in Cleveland, um, mm -hmm. and they were isolating him in the middle of the floor, like free throw line, top of the key, which was tough because you couldn't double team him. He's right. too good a passer. That's right. And it was tough to play him one-on-one. -on -one. And I think, you know, they probably thought, all right, well, we're down 3-2, but we found a little bit of a formula here. Um, and then we come home to game six, and again, a lot of people played well, but Dwight in that case was a monster. The best game he played in my five years in Orlando. I mean, he just took over the entire game, and, and uh, there was just no way to play him. We were running some screening action with he and Richard, and you know, what are you going to do? You're going to switch it and put a smaller guy in right. white. He was going to work, and you try to help, and Richard's up top shooting threes, and those guys were tremendous. And I just remember standing there on the side with, with about a minute to go in the game and saying to Brendan Malone, I remember punching him actually in the arm, <laughs> saying, we're going to the damn finals. You know, that's the first time think, I caught it. Think about that, though. Beginning of the season, you're bringing in new faces, you're bringing in guys that didn't play positions before, you're asking the guy to play point forward, the white, you're asking more responsibility out of him, your all-star point guard goes down, your starting two guard goes down from the elbow from the white, and you're, now you're looking at a finals. What's going through your mind? Yeah, it was. It was, I, again, I didn't, until a minute to go in that game, it never went in my mind like we're going to the finals. Never, not one time. No, because you're just, not because I didn't think we could do it. You're right. just not thinking that way at all. You're just thinking next game, next game, what do we need to do? And then with a minute to go, you're looking up going, damn, I mean, we're going to the finals. We're going we're gonna to win this thing. And, you know, it, it was a tremendous feeling, um, certainly the high point of, our, of my five years there and, and a high point in the careers of, of most of those players. So, you know, it was, it was pretty exciting. Um, you know, and, and to beat, now as you look back, beating Cleveland looks even more improbable. It's hard to beat LeBron. It's hard, it's hard. Come on, it's, it's hard, hard to beat that guy. Yeah, That's the guy's right. name I was thinking there about. Was. That, that, that yes, guy it is. Right there. I mean, the guy's been to eight straight finals Unbelievable. Now, you know, and, and Unbelievable. so trying to beat him has been hard, especially for teams in the East. Um, I do think going into that at that time, even based on the regular season, and we had played them in the preseason mm -hmm. and the whole thing. I think our guys had a belief that they were better than Cleveland. I honestly think, go if you look at all those playoff series, Boston's who we had to get over the mental hurdle mental with. Hurdle, yeah. I think right. our guys right. thought, right. like, we're better than Cleveland. Right. And coming off those first two series, they were just flying high. You're confident as a coach. Your team's playing on an unbelievable level. And now you're facing the Black Mamba with a chip on his shoulder. 
How were you able to transition out of the Eastern Conference Final and try to get ready for the Lakers and Kobe Bryant? Well, we didn't do it very well, <laughs> but we didn't. We, you know, I, I, again, that's something I can run over in my mind, you know, 10 years later. I mean, we just weren't ready in game one. I, is, that, know, is that more because there was a hangover from know, winning I, the Eastern Conference Final with a, too much time in between? Be little, I think part of it was, you know, the finals is, especially game one, is they have this whole pregame yes. spectacle. Yes. And, and even your practices, right? You got to do public practices. Mm -hmm. There's all these people out there. And we were just sort of out of our routine. And so our guys had just been, you know, working hard, grinding, believing. But pretty much even the playoffs were in the normal routine of what we've had all year. And now you go and, you know, you're practicing in L.A. You got to do this. Pub, so you try to do a private practice, yep. a public mm -hmm. one. And all this is going on, and our guys are looking around, and there's cameras everywhere, mm -hmm. you know. In LA, quite honestly, far you know, far more used to that than we were, right? I mean, so this was normal to them, and it was different for our guys. And, and I think we lost a little bit of focus, and so we just got blown out in Game One. Whatever the reason, um, I'd love to know what I did wrong <laughs> in the lead-up. I really would because we just weren't. Ready and and even when we've gotten beaten at other times in the playoffs and mm -hmm. even for most of the year, that team was very consistent in terms right. of being ready to play. Right. You know, and we were tough to beat almost every night. And man, I, I don't know how many games even during the regular season that we were as lethargic right. and lackadaisical as we were in Game One. And you know, it, it, it just it puts you in a hole. And not only being down one to nothing, but, but it does. I mean, it takes a little to get blown out like that. I think our confidence took a little bit of a hit. So we were riding high, and now, you know, you get smacked in the face with reality. I was worried about how we'd come out in game two, but, but we actually came out and played really well. You come out and play well, but before game two, people are starting to come at you. Orlando Magic, second time to the finals, never win the finals game. Jameer Nelson now before practices is starting to look good. Now they're asking you questions. Stay, stand. Jameer's looking pretty good. You're down 0-1. Hey, Skip had a couple extra turnovers. You ready to go back to Jameer? How much did that chitter-chatter bother you to make that decision to ease Jameer back into the finals? Yeah, no, it didn't bother me, but I, I think it did bother Rafer a little bit. Even mm. though we assured Rafer that his, his role wasn't going to change, that he was going to be the starter, I... It, you know, even by the time at the end of the series, when I looked back on it, I think it clearly bothered him a little bit, which I hadn't really anticipated. Okay. Because there was no way we were taking him out of the starting lineup right. or anything. Right. Um, but I do think it bothered him, and he didn't play uh, nearly as well in that series mm -hmm. as he had mm -hmm. for most of the year. But for me making the decision, I mean, a couple of things that happened. First of all, by the time we had gotten into the Boston series, we really weren't using a backup point guard. When, when Skip was out of the game, we were having Hito play the point. Mm -hmm. and so you even we, cut back on Anthony Johnson's minutes then, too. Yeah, we did. Right, well, right. Considerably. He didn't right. even play in a lot of games. We played Hito with, like, J.J. and Pietrus yep. and things yep. like that. Yep. So, and then the other thing is we were, you know, we, we put Courtney back in the starting lineup. So mm -hmm. we did have some changes, which, which may have disrupted things a little bit. Um, but the other thing that made the Jameer decision easy is, for me, is we had beaten the Lakers both times during the regular season. Mm -hmm. And the major factor in us beating them was Jameer. Right. The guy they couldn't guard was Jameer. Now, I didn't expect him to play at that level, but I just thought, hey, going off the bench, we got, we got to give this guy a chance because they've had trouble guarding him. And so... You know, we talked it over as a coaching staff. Um, we were all a little concerned about disrupting stuff, but there really wasn't much hesitation from anybody on the staff in terms of, of making that move. And even I've had guys challenge it. It was funny. A year ago, I was speaking at a, a prison down in Miami, the Dade Correctional mm -hmm. Institute, mm -hmm. and talking to a lot of guys who are lifers and stuff, you know, and you're in there talking to them. And so then you're taking questions at the end. 
And the very first question, a guy says his name and says, why'd you play Jameer Nelson in the finals? You know, and I'm like, man, no, he was watching it in. from prison and wanted yes. to know, you know. You had so, Florida, Central Florida, the whole everybody. state block. You know, and so I knew that if it didn't work, we'd catch some flack. But you right. know what? It, you can't coach like that. You're making the decisions what's best. I'm not thinking what's going to keep me from catching flat. Because the bottom line is if you go the other way and you lose right. and you didn't play Jameer, right. people are going to be like, he was healthy. Why aren't you playing? <laughs> so, you know, the way to satisfy fans right. is to win. That's right. No and that's the way it should be. And we thought it gave us our, our best chance to win, just like we did putting Courtney in the starting lineup to play against Kobe right. as a rookie yeah. in the finals. Think about that. You yeah. know, so we just made the moves we thought were best. And, and game two, we're right there at the end with the chance to win. And, and really, had we been able to pull that out, maybe it's an entirely different series. I mean, everything, even a 4-1 series comes down to a couple of plays. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know. The Courtney game two, the 1.8, the Courtney yeah, Lee. Yes. It's a tough shot. Right. It's a tough shot. But we've shot. seen him make it before, so yes. that throws people off. Hito <laughs> makes a great pass. And we always had Hito inbound in those right. situations because not only was he a great passer, but he had guts. Right. And so, you, you know, you've seen guys yeah. inbound in that situation. A guy can yeah. be open. He'll throw it over to the safe path. He'll yeah. throw the safe path. Exactly. Hito, no problem. And, and mm -hmm. Hito would occasionally throw one of those out of bounds, and he could live with that. Right. You know? And so he makes a great pass. Courtney can't get it in the basket, and so now we're down 0-2. And it's tough. And then we come home and play a phenomenal game three. I mean, I think at that time set the record for field goal percentage in a, in a finals game. I mean, just played a great game three, which I, I think even looking back on what ended up being a 4-1 series, you know, really showed the resilience of our, our group. Down 0-2, still believing they can win the series, mm -hmm. you know. No quit in them and play a phenomenally efficient offensive game. And then we got a chance to tie it in game four. And, man, again, down the stretch, it just, you know, again, like I say, the, the series is so funny because it's not just our series. You look at these series and it's 4-1 and it doesn't sound competitive. And you're saying, all right, well, Courtney Lee layup. Yep. And now we're down and and, and – we're up in L.A. We're up three, and L.A.'s got the ball. 10, 12 seconds, I forget exactly. And Phil opts to take it out in the backcourt. Mm -hmm. So Derek Fisher brings it up, and we never get up on him at all. And we should have taken a foul on him on the dribble. We don't. He hits a three, and then they ended up going on. They ties it. They end up going on and beating us. I mean, it, it's one or two plays, and the series could have been 3-1 the other way. Right. You know, and it's just, it's tough. We didn't get the job done in game four. Now we're in a big hole, and we're going to have to win game five, and then we're going to have to go beat them twice out there. And I think we've started to lose some belief. Psychologically, does the 2-3-2 two, two series make a difference? Like we know now in the league is 2-2-1-1-1. Two, two, one, one, one. you think that could have been helpful for a team like yours back I then? I do, because I, I think that, you know, being able to – to break it up and, mm -hmm. and go back out there, maybe it would give us a little bit more belief, you know, instead of saying, all right, we got to win, and then we got to win two in a row out there. Um, but the bottom line is game five, they were, they were just better, and Kobe, Kobe was terrific. Trevor Ariza had a good series, mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. they just uh, took it to us. We played well that whole series against their starting lineup. The guy that the guy that really changed everything for us was when Lamar Odom played because, yeah. Yeah. you know, now that whole four out, one in, I mean, Lamar could get out on the perimeter yep. and defend Richard mm -hmm. and he could, you know, play the pick and roll and get back to him and the whole thing. His ability, and then offensively, obviously, he had great talent. But, but I thought Lamar Odom and then Trevor Ariza, those two guys being able to regard Richard and Hito was probably even bigger than than what Kobe did in that series because we were fine when they were going Bynum and Gasol. Right. Now we weren't blowing them out, but we were we were fine. But when it went to Odom, they, they just really they, they got the best of us in that. When you sit at home now or on your back porch or on your yacht hanging out, 
Yeah, if yeah, I yeah, had yeah. a yacht. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. I get the point. If, my pontoon boat. There you go. Do you have a favorite player from that team, from the 08 and 19? Nah, not really. I'm telling you what, it was the group. It really group. was. And, you know, I have great respect for all of those guys um, and great affection for them. I mean, it, it was just a, a fantastic group. And from time to time, I'm in touch with, with most of them, mm -hmm. um, you know, still to this day. I mean, I, I was – it was just a really, really good group. And, and, you know, some of the guys we really haven't even – talked about a lot like Tony Batie was key I mean mm -hmm. he was our he was our third big guy so we could go big right. we could go big with Richard and him Marcin Gortat I mean we had the best backup center in the league which, uh, has, yes. been, which has been proven out over the, that's right over the last few years I mm -hmm. mean this guy's out we saw it in game six in Philly that year mm -hmm. but you know we had him and and then we had on the bench JJ Redick and Mikhail Pietras mm -hmm. who were both very very good so mm -hmm. we had great wings and then, like I said, A.J. had a really good year, Anthony Johnson up till then. So, so we were good and had depth and were over, able to overcome Jameer's injury and Courtney's injury and Dwight being out for a game because we had a lot of other guys that could play. And everybody sort of believed in each other, you know. So somebody went down. Um, the toughest one was Jameer. At that point, we dropped our heads a little until we got skipped. But anything else, when somebody went down, we were just really ready to move on with the next guy, you know, and nobody really worried about anything. It, you know, you know, being around, I mean, it, we had talent, and you mm -hmm. have to. You have to have a lot of talent. But there's also something, I mean, you just got to have the right fit, and mm -hmm. that group fit together well. Guys' skills fit other skills. Um, guys really understood each other. Right. You know, like, hey, Dwight's doing everything defensively and on the boards. We've got to get him the ball a couple times. Mm -hmm. You know, guys had that innate understanding of, of what they had to do, and they were all willing to sacrifice. So, you know, Dwight sacrificed in the sense that we didn't throw him the ball in the post right. all the time. Right, right. Hito and Jameer had to, when they were playing, and then Hito and Skip had to share sort of ball handling duties both of them could have been primary ball handlers right, right? and then right. you had courtney and jj Beatrice. you know they had to share what shots were left yeah. for those guys and and play people richard had to sacrifice you know for the entire time he was here being a natural three man who had to battle bigger guys and play the four you know guys like jj and Marcin probably could have started for just about anybody. Mm -hmm. And Marcin could have started for anybody else. And they had to be content with coming off the bench. So it, it's a group that I've always liked, not only because they won, but because of what they did to get there, what guys were willing to sacrifice, and, and how they came together as a group. You've been around a few franchises now. Can you believe that the Orlando Magic has survived for this 30th season coming up? Yeah, no, it's incredible because, you know, you think back to when all those teams were coming in the league, you know, mm -hmm. in that two-year time frame, Orlando, Miami, Minnesota, all those teams yeah, coming Charlotte, into the league. Yeah. And now, you, you, you know, you know, they're just another team, another organization in the league. You know, they fit in with everybody else. But, man, I remember winning, and it's really not that long ago no, when you think about uh, it, no. 30 years, and, you know, there have been two great runs. Yep. You were you were obviously first. part of the first one. Yep. And and then the, that run there for the for the five years were really four. The last year we weren't as good, but those little runs and you know I'm, I'm sure with the fans the hope is that there's another one that there's another one coming. Coming but, soon, hopefully. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Because it, it's been a while since then, but right. it is nice to be able to reminisce. If you're a Magic fan, to go back to the days of, you know, Shaq and you and Nick and, you know, all mm -hmm. of those people. And then mm -hmm. there's great affection from Magic fans, even though they didn't produce a number of wins. But for those days of Bo Outlaw and Daryl Armstrong, I love that. And then I think the period of, of the team we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And so it's really not bad when you look at it, when you've had still a fairly young franchise at 30 years and, and you're a fan and you've got 
three teams over multiple years that you can really right. look back on with, uh, with great affection. Got one last one for you. I was digging deep, I was making phone calls. And rumor has it, you possibly could have been somewhere else when you accepted the job for Orlando. You were in maybe going to Sacramento, you may be going somewhere else. Can you share that story with me to kind of flush out what really happened? Well, yeah, we were, I, that off season, I was fortunate um, and, and interviewed for three other jobs, okay. Charlotte, Indiana, Sacramento. And so the magic, I mean, again, going back, everybody will remember this, the magic uh -huh. hired, I interviewed mm -hmm. with the magic. Right. And that very same night, I must have had a great interview uh -huh. because they interviewed me and then they immediately went up and offered Billy Donovan a job. Okay. Like immediately <laughs> okay. went out of the interview. Right. Like, oh God, this guy, we better go get Billy. <laughs> and so they went up and they offered Billy the job. And, you know, I was disappointed because we love Florida. Right. Wanted to be here. There were some great things with the roster and the whole thing. But I knew Billy and was really happy for him. And I right. thought... Quite honestly, it was a great hire because Billy's a great coach. Great coach. And so I thought, great hire by the Magic and the whole thing. And so I moved on and I was pursuing the job with Sacramento. And I remember being in Las Vegas because the Maloofs, who owned the team at the time, yep. were in Vegas. But yep. I was with Jeff Petrie and Wayne Cooper. And I'm sitting at dinner with them in Vegas. And it's one of those, you know, where your phone is on silent. It just keeps vibrating. <laughs> He's vibrating. Keeps vibrating. Come on, honey. I'm, I'm in a meeting, honey. <laughs> Somebody. Keeps, so I get up, and I finally, it's my brother. And he's saying, you know, have you done anything with Sacramento? I said, no, they haven't offered me the job or anything yet. Okay, okay. And he said, well, don't do anything with them because I think Billy's going to go back. I was like, whoa, are you kidding me? No, nah, he's not going to go back. He said, I think he might. Just, so just hang on. Well, Sure enough, Billy decides to go back, and then Otis and I get on the phone, and we're both ready to, it took us about five minutes in negotiations. It really did. <laughs> he already I, flushed out everything from the last meeting. Well, we hadn't even talked about money and okay. stuff, but it was just, you know, they weren't trying to squeeze me, I wasn't trying to squeeze them. Right. You know. And I wanted to be there. So we had that all worked out. But then Miami, at that time, at first, wasn't, I was still under contract with them, even though I wasn't coaching right. as a consultant. Right. And they weren't going to let me out of my contract. Not to go to Orlando. That's exactly right. Come on, right. not to go to Orlando. No, that's what, that's you can exactly win anywhere right. else. But I'm not uh, letting you go down I-4. No, you're exactly right. And Pat <laughs> Riley said, Stan, look, you can go to Sacramento, we're not letting you go to Orlando. Right. So we got on the plane and went out to Sacramento. And the plan was, we're gonna look at houses there, and if everything's good, because my wife hadn't been out there, then you know we'll sign the contract and, and do the press conference and the whole thing. And literally, within five minutes of landing out there, I get a call from the Magic saying, you know, hold on, I think we might be able to work this out. And, and they go the whole day that we're in Sacramento and about six o'clock West Coast time that night, Pat finally agreed to, to let me go and we worked it out and we took a red eye back and did the press conference here the next day. I didn't want to give them a chance to change their mind. <laughs> so we, I, we didn't need sleep and, and we came out here and, uh, and, and took the job, which, you know, for us, I mean, for me, basketball wise, it was great. I was excited. And for my wife, her mom and stepfather have, had lived in Lake Mary, I don't know, 20 some years, awesome. even before we came. Awesome. So it was perfect. And it was a really exciting day for us. And, you know, at that point, you don't know what's ahead. And to know that, you know, less than two years later, you're going to be playing in the finals. So, yeah, we, it ended up being a really exciting time. When I first heard the story, I wasn't for sure. So I had to call a couple more sources to make sure my sources were right. Yeah, no, it was, uh, that was an interesting day. I mean, uh, it's one that gave me a little bit of regret, though. I, I will mm. admit in that mm. I have tried and have prided myself throughout my career of acting with integrity and being honest at all right. times, right. even when maybe it didn't benefit me. And, you know, I kept Jeff Petrie in the dark all day that day in Sacramento. Yeah. 
because I was looking out for myself and I right. didn't want to say, hey, Jeff, I'm trying to go to Orlando right. and, and lose the Sacramento opportunity if it didn't work out. It was selfish. It was unfair to, to mm -hmm. Jeff. And to this day, I mean, I'm probably like a lot of coaches, like we're sitting here talking about going to the finals <laughs> and I remember the mistakes I made. Right. You know, I remember, I remember the shots I missed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's just part of it. You know, I remember not putting two guys on, on LeBron. I remember not fouling Derek Fisher, you know, all those things. And the same thing with this, as exciting as it was to come to Orlando, you know, we're 11 years past that. And I still remember that I just didn't act with integrity on that day. Mm -hmm. And I didn't do right by uh, Jeff Petrie, who had been up and up with me the whole time. And, and it still bothers me. Um, happy with the way it turned out being in Orlando, but that's just one I'll, I'll never for myself live down. When, when you were putting your uh, coaching staff together, how did you know Coach Clifford was going to be a great coach? Well, he had worked for my brother. So mm. I had known Steve a little bit, but he'd worked for my brother in New York and in, in Houston. And so, you know, I mean, my brother and I talk all the time. We're really, really close. And so I didn't need one big recommendation from him. I had heard over the years, you know, how highly he thought of Steve. This right. guy's great, hard worker, high integrity, really smart, great teacher, all of this. So I never even interviewed Steve. I mean, I just offered oh, wow. him the job. So soon, you know, so soon Jeff Credits, hey, it's Jeff, get a guy, get a guy the job. I know Jeff, I know Jeff. Stan, he, he knows what he's doing, Stan, give him the job. Yeah, that's pretty much, <laughs> well, he, Steve and I talked, but it was never, you know, there was never, I wasn't considering, like, am I gonna hire him or not? Right. I just wanted to get to know him better. Right. Right. So he was the first, first guy I hired um, when I came here. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and it was, I'd known him through my brother, so I had a trust on the way he worked, and right. Steve's just, I mean, he's just a great, great basketball coach. I mean, on the court, he is, he, he's a good X and O guy and a really good thinker, but he's a great communicator. He's clear and concise. So you're gonna know as a player exactly what he wants and what he expects. And then guys really like him. He's got like the perfect NBA demeanor because mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. he's gonna hold you to a really high standard without a lot of yelling and screaming like I used to do. I mean, not really. I mean, he's <laughs> right, just going right. to, you know, very matter-of-factly, this is what we want. But he's going to let his sense of humor and stuff come through also. I mean, right. some of the best times I had in Orlando coaching is when we would break up with their groups to do shooting and stuff and watching Steve's basket with Richard and Hito, and they worked extremely hard pushed each other right. but the sense of humor all three of those guys had <laughs> ribbing, ribbing just, each other <laughs> yes it was just entertaining to watch every right. day and it was i i remember thinking at the time this is what nba basketball should be they're working hard they're paying attention to detail and they're having a great deal of fun while they're right. doing it um and i think that's what it's what it's like with steve and then you get him in staff meetings and you're going to get you know i got great ideas every day and there was no doubt in my mind that he was going to be successful as a head coach and then beyond all of that and i think for everybody but the players understand it too early on is he's just such a quality person right totally honest anything he says to you you can trust you can believe everything he says, and he truly cares about everybody around him, you know? Um, and, and so I think guys, even when he was an assistant, I mean, guys want to play for him. Right. And I, I think we saw, you know, he took over a, a dire situation in Charlotte. Yes. I mean, dire, <laughs> and made them into a very competitive team right away because they had some talent, but he changed the entire culture. And yep. The, the way guys, mm -hmm. you know, he was able to, he really is very clear in what he wants. His expectations won't be, you know, nobody's going to be confused. Right. This is how we play. 
this is what we want, this is what we expect, and then he's going to let them play. So, um, yeah, great coach, and we were fortunate to have him, uh, you know, key piece on what I thought was a great, great coaching staff. One more for you, staying alive. I talked to Coach Clifford Summer League when he was ill last year, and we, helped, we were happy to see him back on his feet. Ty Lue went through the same thing in Cleveland. How important is it for you guys as coaches to get your rest? As much as you love your team, as much as you love your job, how important for the head coach to get his rest? Yeah, rest, exercise, um, having at least some outside interest, something to get you away from the game. Because the average fan don't understand no, what you guys go through. And I think seeing two high-profile coaches be, you know, not injured, sick, illness from lack of rest. No question. And two guys I know because we hadn't talked about it, but Ty Lue was on that team we talked about That's right. that went to the finals. And so, you know, I was in touch with both of those guys when they were going through it, Steve even more. And, you know, it was a wake-up call, I think, to all the coaches. But, again, I give Steve credit because he did what he needed to do, took care of himself. And then he did just what you would expect a player to do if something were wrong, change. Right. And, and Steve's done that. And it's going to make him even, even better. You know, he's, he's going to do his job a little bit differently mm -hmm. than he did before. Mm -hmm. um, but he's going to take care of himself better. And I, I think he'll you know, have a lot of very productive years because of that. Because if he hadn't changed, I mean, the guy could very well be out, right. you know, doing something else. I mean, you're just not going to be able to continue when you're getting no sleep night after night and you're under stress and the whole thing. Um, so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not happy it happened to him. You wish he never would have had to right. have a health scare. Right. But in the sense that, you know, a, a friend met the problem and has made the changes to get better, it's probably better in the long run that it happened and uh, makes me happy to know that he's uh, come through it and will be different. Makes me happy you should stay in Van Gundy. Thank you.